0: And several people said it was their wedding night where the switch happened Mm. and that everything's great. Now they're married. That night person, sometimes the man, sometimes the woman says, "Okay, now here's who I really am.
1: This is Awakened Love, the podcast, and I'm your host, Angel. This is a space where we get real, real about sex, love and awakening. So strap in, let's go deep. What's up, beautiful awakened beings? And welcome to another episode of Awakened Love. We are joined today by Bill Eddy who is the co-founder and chief innovation officer of the High Conflict Institute. He pioneered the high conflict personality theory and has become an expert on managing disputes involving people with high conflict personalities. He was the senior family mediator at the National Conflict Resolution Center for 15 years, a certified family law specialist lawyer representing clients in family court for 15 years, and a licensed clinical social worker and therapist with over 12 years of experience. He's authored over 20 books, including The Dating Radar and Five Types of People Who Will Ruin Your Life, and is a wealth of information. I'm so grateful that he's here with us today. Thank you so much for being with us today, Bill.
0: Thank you. I'm glad to be on with you.
1: Yes, we were talking before we hit record, and I let you know that when I put out on my social media about having you on, we had such an immense response from people, really um, all sorts of different questions. So. Grateful and excited to to dive right in. You have two books. I read both of them over the last two weeks as I prepared for this episode and was absolutely enthralled. So, firstly, for anyone listening, if you haven't read Dating Radar and the Five Types of People Who Can Ruin Your Life, those are both books. One is co authored by Bill, the other is authored by Bill, that were extremely fascinating. And in these books, you talk about high conflict personalities. So, I was wondering if you could just start us off by explaining. What is a high-conflict personality?
0: Well, basically, it's a description of conflict behavior. So someone with a high-conflict personality is preoccupied with blaming others. It's like 100% other people's fault. I'm 0%, not my fault at all, nothing to do with me. It just happens to me. Mm. second is a lot of all-or-nothing thinking so it's my way or the highway you know I know what's right and you need to follow what I say third is often unmanaged emotions And so the person may like start yelling when it really should be an ordinary conversation or might burst into tears when it's not something significant um, or get up and run out of a room sometimes that emotions just kind of take them over. Mm. And the fourth is extreme behavior. They may do things 90% of people would never do. So, you know, punching a hole in the wall, spreading really nasty rumors on the internet, um, domestic violence, all of these kinds of things that that most people would never do. Because sometimes people say, well, I was kind of high conflict today. Mm. Yeah, you probably weren't. If you have a pattern of this behavior, then that's what we think of with high conflict people, high conflict personalities.
1: Mm, Yeah, because it's... So if someone's listening and they're thinking, oh, I might have raised my voice at my kids last week or you know, whatever, that's the distinction there. <laughs>
0: that's a, it's a good distinction. And let me add something because yeah. as we talk about this, people may wonder, is this me? Mm-hmm. And that is if you can ask yourself these two questions, then it's unlikely you have a high conflict personality. The first question is, what's my part in this problem? And it may be 2%, but look for my part in this problem. And the second is, what can I do different in the future? Because people with high conflict personalities don't reflect on their own behavior. They're preoccupied with everybody else. And they don't try to change their behavior because they think there's nothing they need to do different. It's everybody else needs to change. So if you can ask yourself those two questions and honestly answer them, then it's unlikely you have a high conflict personality.
1: Mm, I love that distinction. That's really, really helpful. So for everyone listening, if you're getting in that (laughs) self-critical space, then you can (laughs) just slow down and use that. You also talked about um, personality disorders and that there's kind of like an overlap between certain personality disorders and, um, and this high conflict personality. I know for the sake of time, we only have an hour, together today. So perhaps we (laughs) could focus on the two main or most prevalent personality disorders, which are, I believe, of narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder.
0: Those seem to be the most common in high conflict disputes, although we're seeing more and more antisocial personalities also. But narcissistic and borderline, there was a big study done uh, about 20 years ago that said that people with narcissistic personality disorder, about 6% of the adult United States population and probably most countries, and about 6% have borderline personality disorder. And so it's significant. Um, but where they show up, so let me, start, let me start with borderline. So borderline is characterized by extreme mood swings, can be very loving, friendly, charming, and then like a minute later, be screaming at you. It's like you're, you're the worst person in the world. You're a piece of dirt and just, you know, you've done everything wrong and you're totally caught by surprise. And then the next day they're friendly and cheerful and you're going, well, well which is it? You know, Mm. and what was happening yesterday? Let me suggest you don't ask that question. If they're Mm. in a good mood today, just let the past drop, focus on the present. Mm. But wide mood swings, sudden intense anger. Narcissistic personality disorder. And a lot of people are called narcissists because they're self-centered, something like that. But the personality disorder means that they feel they have to put themselves above you. And so they're always trying to prove they're superior to you. They're very demeaning and belittling. They lack empathy. And in relationships, they can actually be quite mean and cruel Mm. just to make themselves feel superior. Mm. And so that's very much a nutshell version of those. And there's a whole continuum. Some people it's pretty severe, some people a little bit. Um, but those are the two that we see and in high conflict disputes that keep going, uh, family disputes, legal disputes, neighbor disputes, workplace disputes. These are the personalities that get stuck because a very interesting thing, they have a narrower range of behavior than most people. So Mm. our personalities generally allow us to, you know, be loud in some settings, quiet in others and stuff. But they're more narrow. They like keep doing these mood swings or these demeaning comments. And so they become quite predictable.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that you share about this kind of idea of this pattern of behavior because... I think I've um, had experiences in the past. I wonder if anyone listening can resonate where maybe you experience someone has an extreme behavior and, but then they're really sorry for it and you feel genuine empathy and you think, oh, you know, okay, they're taking responsibility. They're saying, sorry, that that won't happen again. And you think, okay, well, here's this loving, empathetic person in front of me. Maybe, you know, they just had a bad day, but then it happens again and then it, happens again. And so are you saying like, that's kind of the thing to look out for?
0: It's it's the pattern, the repetition. So, yeah. you know, everybody has a bad day, mm-hmm. but it's the pattern, but the real extremes. You could do one thing real extreme and that's not a bad day. That's supported by a pattern of bad behavior.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: but mostly over time and and when we're in relationships at work, family, romantic relationships is you do see people over time. And so you have a better likelihood that you'll see these patterns, although these personalities put a lot of energy into covering it up
1: mm. early on
0: in the relationship. And so that's something that you still have to watch out for. Like in Dating Radar, we... Um, we re- recommend people wait a year before making a major commitment, like getting married, having a child, buying a house together, because sometimes it takes that long for the whole range of extreme behaviors to come out. Mm,
1: yeah, there's two questions I wanna ask off the back of that. The first is, I, I, I think you mentioned, and let me know if this is true, that there's kind of a sense of urgency for both people who have NPD and, BPD, which for those listening, we might use now a narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and that they um, tend to want to rush. Is that typical mm-hmm. of both? And what is that sense of urgency to try and move things along really quickly?
0: Well, it's really to gain, I think, some power and control over the other person and to help themselves feel because both of those personalities have a lot of anxiety. Mm. And there's a study I read that said people would diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, about 90% of them also have a diagnos- diagnosable anxiety disorder. Mm. And so they're anxious in many ways because what they're doing isn't working, but they don't try to change because they think it's because of other people. So they, it's, a, it's an error in understanding what's going on, but they repeat the error. They can't see it. Mm. And so they want to control the other person to control their own anxiety. And it's like, mm. if you'll just stay here, you know, handcuffed to the to the house and never leave, then I can relax. <laughs> right. And it's like, the other person's like, you're really controlling me. I feel trapped. And that's not unusual with these personalities because they do mm. kind of try to take over your life. And... I believe that fundamentally it's not conscious, but mm. they know may know what they're doing in the moment. But what drives them to do this is these inner kinds of personality traits that they really don't have control over and don't have awareness of.
1: Mm. And are those traits the ones you mentioned before of um not not looking at themselves and like blaming others? And are those the ones you mean?
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. And because of that, they don't they don't see how they could make their life happier.
1: And Mm. so they
0: often push people away and then they go, why do people turn against me? And Uh. they can't see if I stop doing this and start doing this, then they're going to like me better. They they can't self-correct. They don't Mm. self-reflect and they don't self-correct. And so they stay stuck in this cycle of self-defeating behavior and often sabotage relationships.
1: Mm. Yeah, you you mentioned that waiting a year is a good idea, which I think is a very healthy idea, right? But you talk about in the book something interesting, a, a reason for that, and you called it, I think, a Jacqueline Hyde moment. Can you explain what you mean by that? And that there's something that usually triggers that. What is a Jacqueline Hyde moment? What normally triggers it?
0: Yeah, so just think of someone who's, let's say six months into a a nice relationship and suddenly they hit you. And what it is, is something offended them, something triggered them, and they didn't really restrain themselves. Now you're seeing kind of the full range. And so it's like with a narcissist, it's usually feeling that they've been um, humiliated or embarrassed. And so they're trying to fight, fight against that feeling. People with borderline personality are very concerned about feeling secure with people. So they feel like abandoned. And so they may strike out. And by the way, this is men as well as women that have each of these personalities. Mm. And so you may have someone, you can't leave. I'm locking the door and, and I'm, I'm pushing you, knocking you down on the bed or something like that. I, I'm not going to let you leave. Mm. And so it, it catches people by surprise because the person's been careful up to that point. Now, what's really odd. But in the the uh, Dating Radar book, we mention several, we did a survey, an online survey, got 300 responses, something like that before we wrote the book. And several people said it was their wedding night where the switch happened mm-hmm. and that everything's great. Now they're married, that night person, sometimes the man, sometimes the woman says, okay, now here's who I really am. I was never interested in bowling and bird watching um but i'm really into this and now you're going to be into this and often maybe some violent slapping pushing around it's like now now you've made a commitment to me i can just be who i really am Mm. and so that's why we say don't make the commitment for a year because Often you'll see this stuff come out before a year, but sometimes it's it's the wedding night and the people are like, I was blown away, but we just got married. I didn't know what to do. So I stayed married for three more years and then finally got out. Yeah. So we get stories Oof. like that.
1: <laughs> is there a way to screen out high conflict personalities when you're dating or like, is there red flags? Is there questions you could maybe ask so that you can avoid going all in and having that real shock?
0: Yeah. So I, I call this the web method and we mm-hmm. didn't put this in the book, but developed it after that, is W stands for words, is notice people's words. Do they use a lot of all or nothing words or blaming words? Or do they write with bold underline, all caps and three exclamation marks a lot? You know, most of us do that occasionally, but if they do that a lot, um, that could be a warning sign. Second is your emotions. How Mm -hmm. you feel, do you feel like confused? Do you feel afraid? Do you feel this is a perfect person? Because that's a Mm. warning sign because they're covering Mm. up all the negatives. And so how you feel and then like, and especially like around a narcissist, you often feel stupid because they keep saying how superior and smart and, and they may even say, well, you're being stupid. And and you just get the sense that they have to be high and you have to be low in mm. the relationship. Um, someone with borderline personality, um, you may just feel like, like you want to shake them. Like, can't you see what you're doing? Mm. Um, don't do that. But mm. these kind of feelings are often warning signs. Mm. And... Um, then the last is their behavior. Do they do things that other, no, one, no one you know does? Do mm-hmm. they do things 90% of people would never do, but have a quick excuse like, oh, well, I was tired. That's why I shredded your favorite um, keepsake from your deceased mother or something like that. Um, and they always have an excuse. And yet what they did was so extreme. So, their words, your emotions, their behavior, it's a shortcut to pay attention mm. if these things are extreme.
1: Yeah. I mean, that ideal, I think it's interesting to think to hear about both sides of the coin. On the one hand, if you're feeling unsafe in someone's presence, but on the other hand, hearing you say if they feel too good to be true, because that's harder because everyone wants the ideal partner, they want to believe that. That's how do you, um, screen, like, how do you help yourself not fall into that trap of thinking, you know, yay, I've won the lottery. This is exactly like all the romantic movies pointed out. It's going to be perfect, you know?
0: Yeah. Is, is look at the patterns, ask questions, find Mm -hmm. out, find out. One good thing to do is find out what they're like around other people. Mm. And so if you, you know, go out with a group of people and see how they act and see, see if they treat people in a disparaging way or they have comments that catch you by surprise, because mm. they may be not as concerned around the other people, it may automatically come out. Uh, so those are some ways. Try to get some history on the person. Find out, you know, who knows this person? What, what were they like? Um, mm. things like that. So you, yes. you, you know, other cultures used to have like a real, like your whole family and our whole family has to meet before we decide if we're going to have this marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have that anymore. So people are often meeting strangers without a history. And you really want to try to see what what their history is. Talk to people who know the person. And occasionally you find out this person had a very bad reputation um, back in some other city. Google them, if nothing else.
1: (laughs) Mm, Yeah, the internet. (laughs) Can you tell us what a target of blame is?
0: Well, basically, as I mentioned at the beginning, high conflict people are preoccupied with blaming others. And so they often focus on a particular person and then blame them for a lot. So I've been a therapist, a mediator, a lawyer, and done a lot of help people with divorces. And I often see in divorces, high-conflict person makes the other spouse their target of blame. And everything about them is terrible. They may make up things. They're willing to go to court and say they did terrible things that they didn't do. Um, So, yeah, so the target of blame becomes their focus of their... Uh, attacks essentially and mm. and they don't let go that easily but what I tell people is don't do things to make yourself a target of flame like mm. don't get into arguments you don't need to get into um, back mm. off slowly if you realize this is somebody let's say a friend at work and you realize, whoa, this person is like way too intense. I'm going to back off. Is don't say, hey, you're way too intense and I don't want to spend time with you anymore. Is Mm. say, you know, I'm busy this weekend, so I don't want to go to the movies again or out to dinner or something. And just slowly kind of ease back from Mm. the relationship because slow changes are easier for them to handle than intense, sudden changes. How do you do that if you're in a committed
1: relationship with someone?
0: Well, you it depends what, what stage you're in. If you're, like, mm-hmm. after you've made that commitment, like you've mm-hmm. gotten married, have a child, own a house together, um, you really get yourself ready. Uh, so you're essentially talking about a divorce, even if you're not married. It's, it's at that level. And I recommend that people... Um, Talk to a lawyer, talk to a therapist, kind of plan out the steps for how you're going to ease out of that relationship. Mm. And often if people are living together, um, I suggest that you say, you know, I need I need a few days alone to think, um, you know, things are getting... Pretty intense here, and I just need some time off to think. So I'm gonna stay with a friend for a week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I've had some time to think, and I think this really isn't a good future for either of us. Don't blame yourself and don't blame the other person. It's we're just not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't make it a, a personal attacks. And then um, say, you know, I'd I'd like. To, let's say you're married. Say, I'd like to handle this, you know, with a mediator or try to be as peaceful and out of court as possible. But be aware, you may end up in court because high conflict people get comfortable blaming people in court, and they see court as as another way to try to control you. Mm. So, but mostly, you want to plan this out like with a therapist or a lawyer. So you don't kind of trigger stuff that then becomes dangerous, especially like Mm. if it's a domestic violence situation. Um, That's the most dangerous time is when people separate. Um, That's when people get seriously injured or killed because Mm. the, say, borderline person can't handle the loss of their attachment. It triggers all this abandonment. Um, and narcissists, that triggers all this humiliation, and so it can be a dangerous time. So talk to a professional and kind of plan it out. Mm. Uh, I think a mistake some people make is they say, "You know, honey, I want a divorce. You know, I just can't take this anymore, and I'm going to spend the night at my mother's house." And the person had no clue this was coming. And now it's just overwhelming and they want to strangle them or something. And it's like, plan it out, especially mm. if you have someone with a violent history.
1: Mm. Wow. And do you see that there are certain things that might make us more susceptible to ending up um, in snarled, let's say with a high conflict personality?
0: Well, in the Dating Radar book, we talk about some vulnerabilities one of them is if you're, if you're grieving a loss, let's mm-hmm. say you've had a parent who passed away and you're feeling that loss or you have another relationship that's broken up. And so you're still grieving. You haven't finished really going through that grieving process. And you're susceptible to latching on to somebody that gives you intense emotions. Mm. And you go, oh, this person is just super intense with me. They're wonderful. I'm going to just, you know, we're just going to bond so tight. And then it blows up because Mm. they weren't. They didn't ease into relation. We really recommend easing into relationships. Mm. And and I want to mention people say, well, my grandparents met and a week later they got married and they've been happy married for 50 years. You know, why, why are you giving us this advice? Well, the world has changed. Mm. Um, they probably knew somebody that knew their spouse. Um And frankly, I think there's more high conflict personalities today that were more Mm. individualistic and that that seems to feed a little bit the more extreme personalities. So you have to do more kind of taking your time, getting to know what's going on. But you asked about with yourself. So one is if you're grieving. Mm. Um, Another is... If you're looking for somebody to be your other half, um, that's not good. You need to be a whole person. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: frankly, you'll do better in the dating world if you don't feel like you have to have a partner. And more and more people are learning today, they don't have to have a partner. They may want to have a partner, but it's not desperate. Because Mm -hmm. if you're desperate to have a partner, that makes you more vulnerable to these folks. Because mm. sometimes they can sense, oh, here's a vulnerable person, I'm going to be their knight in shining armor, and, and yet they can't be. They end up being abusive or something. Mm-hmm. So being a whole person, another thing to watch out for is what, what we call fake compatibility. Mm. Is that the person said, "Oh, I, I want to do bird watching," or "I'm into bowling too"? And you go, "Oh, great! Well, check that out." Is this person really into that? Or are they trying to, you know, uh, seduce you mm. with saying I have the same interests? Because that's one thing a lot of people told us is it was a fake compatibility to win them over. Mm. Um. Can you talk and, to the
1: sales and and um, you talk about the sales and seduction phase. It's kind of touching on that now, but what is that when it comes to high conflict personalities?
0: Well, they they often start out I'd say with a sugar-coated personality. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is they really they don't feel secure until they've got control of you. So mm-hmm. their goal isn't an equal relationship. Their goal is one where they're in charge. And it's just part of part of this personality, and so they they will be wonderful, you know, buy you flowers and dinner and sing sweet songs, just do all this stuff um, until you've made a commitment, and then they'll show everything else. Mm. And so we always say that charm charm like this is actually a warning sign mm. but it doesn't fit everybody there's a lot of charming people who aren't high conflict people
1: mm. but i
0: would say most high conflict people lead with charm
1: mm. so
0: you've got to kind of be careful take your time find how do you out- tell the
1: difference between like someone who's confident and has healthy self-esteem and is maybe charming and someone who's Got that fake compatibility and seeking control.
0: Well, you can, you can bring up subjects or comments that may push a little on these issues for them. So someone with borderline personality disorder, you say, you know, we've been doing great, but I'm going to spend next week with my friends. So, you know, I'll be out of touch. I'll see you in a week. And if they get really angry about that, That's kind of a borderline trait is that's an abandonment and it Mm. triggers that. And if they go, oh good, I'm glad, you know, have a good time. But if they're like, no, no, you know, you can't interrupt. What we have is so special that you're going to totally derail this perfect relationship that we have and and don't you dare just go off with your friends for a week. Mm. So that's one test if you want to say that. Another is to say, you know, there's this thing you do, which I really don't like. And I I want you to know that. So Mm -hmm. like a criticism, Mm -hmm. but if they're a reasonable person, you don't want to make them think you're now a difficult person, (laughs) (laughs) but you want to see how do they handle negative feedback? How do they Mm -hmm. handle a criticism? Can they go, wow, I didn't realize you took it that way. That's not what I meant. Versus Mm. narcissists go, how dare you, you know, criticize. You have no right to criticize me. Look at what you've done. Mm. And they turn it around against you. So those are some things. But I don't don't recommend pushing, you know, being manipulative. Mm -hmm. What I recommend is having your eyes open and just Mm -hmm. being aware, be in a lot of different situations and Mm. see... You know, if things go, ooh, that's odd, or that's weird, or I didn't like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I was speaking to my um, therapist about this today. I was really looking forward to this call and we were were discussing it. And and she said something that I thought was um, really insightful and it's similar touching on what you're sharing here. And she said that, um, you know, every person when they're in their wounds is narcissistic they're being self-centered, but not every person is a narcissist. She said, the difference is, is that people, you know, when we're in our wounds and we're triggered and we're operating from our wound, we're usually being self-centered. Everything's about us in that moment, right? But she's like, most people are able to come back from that. And as you are talking about, reflect, take some kind of accountability, maybe not immediately, but they can come back to that place. She Mm -hmm. said, the difference is that, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, is that someone with um, like narcissistic personality disorder, there is no tether to that part of themselves that can be, that can take feedback, that can self-reflect. There's no coming back from, so if anyone's listening, thinking, oh God, when I'm triggered, you know, I can blame someone else or I can turn things around or be self-centered. And and, um, I thought that was a good distinction.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of it is this inability to self-reflect. And so if they can't look at themselves, it's all out there and that's high conflict people. It's all out there. Nothing's here is as you don't see them, um, you don't see them shifting and taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. So like a reasonable person would go, you know, yesterday I was just so upset Um, but, but I realized, you know, it's really, it's really me that I really am overly this or sensitive to that or whatever. And so there's that, that self-reflection and what's, it's really odd, but high conflict people just simply lack that. Like Mm. you might be in a conversation, you think, now I want to give them some feedback. So, you know, when it's, when it's going to be a good time and it never is a good time. Because mm. they're always talking about you or something else. And it's always something's happening. And, and there isn't this like moment of pause. And like, they don't say, so how are we doing? Mm. They don't want to know how we're doing. They want to control how we're doing. Mm. And it's rare, but sometimes you get a narcissist will say, so give me some feedback. Mm. But if they're really a narcissist, they don't want feedback. They're going to argue with that. Um, mm. They want to know what you're thinking about them.
1: <laughs> and for a so, borderline, would they take the feedback as a way to try and get the, the attachment back? Because you talk about this process of um, hoovering, maybe it's called like love bombing. What is that process?
0: Yeah, so with borderline, feeling abandoned is the worst thing in the world. And mm-hmm. for some of them, they were abandoned as very young children. Um, they may have been abused. Their early childhood is when a lot of this stuff, um, goes wrong. And so they like, feel like it's like they won't survive. Imagine if you're two years old and your, your mother leaves home and says, you know, good luck, Johnny. Um, I'm gone. I'm leaving forever. It's like, you'll die and you know it. Well, it's that feeling they have inside. It's like, without you, I'm going to die. So I've got to get you back. But if, if you know that's what I'm doing, then you're going to keep resisting me. So I'm going to just be real loving and friendly and, um, or sexual, you know. And, and I know people have had, they're ready to say this is the end of the relationship. They may start saying that. And next thing you know, they're in bed having great sex and they're like, oh, what was I thinking? And then, like a week later, they go, "Wait a minute. this this isn't really working." so mm. it's it's um, it's being aware, of that. and that's that's like hoovering. I don't know. How many of your listeners ever remember a Hoover vacuum cleaner? (laughs) But the, the vacuum Hoover was one of the most popular vacuum cleaners, like in the first half of the last century. And so they call it like sucking you back in like a vacuum cleaner. That's what Hoovering is. And so if I have to use tears, I'll do that. If I have to, you know, physically seduce you, I'll do that. It's whatever to bring you back. In fact, I know about one one case where um, they weren't married, but a woman said, oh, you know, a man said, I want to split up. It's just not working out. And I said, oh, my God. Oh, that's terrible because I just found out this morning that I'm pregnant. And the guy is like, oh, my goodness. And so if you're, oh, I better do the right thing and marry her and they get married and they have the kid and a year later, it's like, this is a terrible relationship. Or no, 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 I, I, I forgot the real end of the story. There's never a kid. She mm-hmm. says she's pregnant and they get married and there's no kid. And he realized mm-hmm. that that was a, she totally made that up. And mm-hmm. that's what got him back in. And then of course, you can't, do that for more than nine months. Um, mm. But people will do desperate things to hold on and people need to be aware there's people like this out there. And mm. and they're not bad people, they're hurting people, but mm-hmm. they, they're stuck and they can't correct themselves. Now with that said, um, people with borderline personality disorder, there is treatment There's a a popular treatment for that called DBT, it's Mm -hmm. dialectical behavior therapy. And a year or two or three of that, and they learn how to manage their emotions better, how to manage relationships better, and and may do pretty well. So it's not a hopeless Mm -hmm. thing. It's important for people to know if you at some point realize maybe you have this, you know, get get some speak with a therapist and see Mm. because it's a treatable problem.
1: Mm. When do you know as a partner of someone, because you know, if you love someone and you know they have a history of trauma as you're saying, and this is a hurt human being, but they're also creating so much potentially might be abusive or creating just chaos. When do you know when to let go? Like how, how do you help this person? Can you help this person?
0: Well, what I suggest often is encourage couples counseling mm-hmm. is see, will you go to couples counseling with me mm-hmm. and and ask the couples counselor if we can each talk with you separately for a little bit, because you want the counselor to understand the person's pattern of behavior because they're going to be charming. And, <laughs> and the couples counselor may go, oh, that's a wonderful person and you have all the problems. You want Mm. to let them know this is kind of the surface and here's what some of the real problems are. But see Mm. if they're willing to do that and see if there's any change. And that's the big thing is see if you can see a change. If there's a change, then this may be someone who's not as extreme and may be able to learn and change. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people, first of all, a lot of people with borderline or narcissistic personalities won't go to counseling they've never mm-hmm. been and they never want to go because they don't have any problems it's all the other people and right. so that's also a warning sign like if you know when i get clients as a as a lawyer um and they say i've been seeing a therapist for 6 months or a year and and i i'm kind of working on my part of things and it's just, I've come to the conclusion it's just not going to work. And, you know, is your partner ever going to, th- oh, no, no, you know, he or she would never ever go. That gives you mm. kind of a sign. So somebody that looks for therapy is often going to be in many ways a healthier person than someone who's really thinks therapy is a terrible thing.
1: Yes. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I mean, speaking of... um the person who's going to therapy and really trying to help and doing all the things they can. Uh, Do you often see people who are, let's say like have helper syndrome or um, maybe codependent need to be needed that sometimes it's called um, like the, the savior complex. Cause sometimes that can be people with narcissistic personality disorder can kind of wrap themselves around that. But sometimes people who have different types of trauma do not have narcissistic personality disorder but might have a penchant for needing to help, needing to save, needing to fix. Do you often see that as trauma bonded pairs with people with MPD or BPD?
0: Yes, yes, we see that a lot. And that's mm. often that's who will stay in an mm-hmm. abusive relationship. I'll I give you an example. I I represented as a lawyer or a woman who said, my therapist said I should see you and start working on a divorce. And I said, okay, well, let me get some information. Um, how? What's the date of marriage? It was six weeks earlier. And I go, six weeks ago? Don't you want to give it some time to see how things go? She said, well, let me tell you the rest of it. Well, her boyfriend who, who she just married uh, owned a house. And he had a prior girlfriend who was dragging her feet moving out of the house. So she, the wife, couldn't move into the house until his girlfriend who was dragging her feet moved out. And he really wasn't putting much pressure on the girlfriend. So a lot of narcissists like having two or three relationships at the same time because it gives them a feeling of being special. Mm. And so I was like, well you know, why did you wait so long? <laughs> now, instead of saying, why don't you wait? Like, why but it turns out she had been terribly abused as a child. She'd grown up with a parent very much like the man that she was marrying or had married. And so she she kind of thought that like being hit was just part of relationships and her mm-hmm. therapist would help her say, no, that's not healthy, it's not good for you, and it's not part of a good relationship. And so she was kind of slowly getting on her feet that I have the right not to be here, to be treated with respect, and all of this. But that's, that's like you said, the trauma bonding, that's why some people get stuck into these relationships who are really nice people, but they're they're in many ways codependent and mm-hmm. you can be codependent with personality disorders and and a lot of people are so mm-hmm.
1: that's something
0: like in the dating radar book we said, is check yourself you know see am mm-hmm. i am i do i have a fantasy about this relationship that's unrealistic and in the book we called it um naive actually i have it here what naive beliefs Na- naive beliefs thank you
1: yeah. <laughs> like <laughs>
0: Like I can change him or I can change Mm -hmm. her or time and love will heal all wounds. Well, that's not Mm -hmm. exactly true um, because some people, maybe because they've been wounded so badly, just are not with your your time and your love going to really change. They may be really Mm -hmm. stuck. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so the naive beliefs, um, just people kind of hook themselves into... Uh, not letting go when someone else might have said, oh, it's clear this isn't getting any better. Um, mm. yes. I, I had one woman, again, as a lawyer, who came to me, she'd been married 26 years, and says, I, I need to get a divorce. And and it just doesn't work. The marriage is not working. I said, how long has it not been working? And you know, she told me she married 26 years ago. She said 25 years. So it worked for a year and she stayed and (sighs) it never got better. And (sighs) that's why, you know, I can't stay in this relationship unless we go to couples counseling or things. It's like you really want to be aware if it needs to change for it to work for you, you might as well get started on it sooner rather than later.
1: Yes. I heard once someone say that people with narcissistic personality disorder often pair, like end up bonded or in partnership with people with borderline personality disorder. Is that something that you see that that these pairings go together? And why is that?
0: Yeah. So that's probably one of the more common combinations, but all of these personalities, there's examples where they hook up with other personality disorders because they're emotionally Mm -hmm kind of immature at the same level, but mm-hmm. a lot of people with personality disorders hook up with ordinary people too. So mm-hmm. you see all of this, but the, mm-hmm. the narcissism borderline connection seems to be, first, the borderline's more emotional, more extremes. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's emotionally appealing in many ways. You have the most loving, wonderful person. And so that attracts narcissists. And so Mm. a narcissist might, oh, this is such a wonderful, loving, fun, beautiful person. And Mm. then um, they they get enraged, they get angry and the narcissist's like, look at you, you're a mess. And Mm. so the narcissist sees their mood swings as a vulnerability. So that mm-hmm. attracts the narcissist. It's like, "Oh, here's someone I can control because look how vulnerable she is." Mm-hmm. And when I say he and she, it could be really either way. I've seen this go mm-hmm. either way. Mm-hmm. And for the borderline, the borderline's looking for a hero. You know, borderline mm-hmm. has idealizes people and then devalues them. So someone mm-hmm. who's narcissistic might just make person with borderline personality just feel, oh, this is the person I've been looking for all my life. They're going to take care of me. They're going to love me. Now I Mm -hmm. can feel secure. Mm. And so narcissists promote themselves as the knight in shining armor the wonderful person. And Mm -hmm. so that's very seductive. And people with borderline have a lot of emotions and that can actually be very seductive too. So Mm what's what's sad is what pulls them together makes it hard for them to let go of each other and they're stuck in a negative dance often mm. um and so and and yeah. and I see this if two boor- two people with borderline get together they have a really hard time letting go. We have abusive mm. relationships like that, but anyway, that's the narcissist and borderline there's characteristics that do attract each other um. Mm. And so we do yes. see a lot of that. Mm, let wow. me let me add something here. And that mm. is men nar- more men are narcissists than women, mm-hmm. but women are catching up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and mm-hmm. more women seem to have borderline personality disorder, but men are catching up. So it's mm. getting close to equal with both of these. But part of the narcissist's borderline connection may also be male traits, female traits. What looks appealing turns out to really be too extreme. Mm, so that's that combination. Like
1: that the leadership, hero, knight, but to an extreme end of narcissism and the like loving, emotional, adaptable, but to an extreme sense is borderline. That's actually, that's really interesting to see it.
0: Yeah, think yeah. of a, think of a damsel in distress. Well, Mm. borderline personality, people feel like a damsel in distress. It's like, I want a hero. And narcissists Mm. are like, I'll be your hero. And that works for maybe a couple months, but it doesn't work for a lifetime.
1: Yeah. How do we, I know you were, were, we've talked a lot about how to recognize and what can be the pitfalls. What if we're dealing with someone that has, is a high conflict personality Um, How do we, I know you said slowly backing away, like extricating yourself in stages. Is there a way to, particularly in a work or a community environment, to extricate yourself, but is there a way to stand up to a bully without becoming a target of blame?
0: and it yes and no it really depends on who the person is but we have we have a method we call the cars method c a r s mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. talk about that a lot in the book the five types of people who can ruin your life it's a way to manage the relationship
1: mm-hmm. so
0: i'll walk through each of the parts because this is how you could set limits with someone is c stands for connecting is think of something to say that shows empathy or attention or respect. So Mm -hmm. I respect your, you know, work. You're just amazing. Or that that presentation you did last week in the workplace. You you tell your narcissistic boss how much you respect them. But it has to be true because if you exaggerate, Mm -hmm. then you're setting yourself up for them to manipulate you. Um, So connect, say something. Um, then C, A, A is analyze. So look at your options or maybe even tell the person, you know, we've got a couple choices here. Do you want to do A or you want to do B? Like you tell your boss, hey, you've just given me like six projects and this week I can only really get one done. Which do you want? What's the top priority? So Mm -hmm. turn it into things that take analyzing and choices. Mm -hmm. Then the R is responding to misinformation or hostility with Mm -hmm. information. We have our method called BIF, Brief, Informative, Friendly, and Firm, of Mm -hmm. email correspondence. And a lot of this stuff goes on by email, like in the workplace. And Mm -hmm. so just, you know, there's, rather than criticizing like you have it all wrong, is just Mm -hmm. say, Oh, you may not be aware. Here's some information that may be helpful. So Mm. like they might say, you know, you were making noise yesterday in your cubicle and it made it hard for me to concentrate. Mm
1: -hmm. Well,
0: rather than saying you're an idiot, I wasn't here yesterday, is to say, oh, you may not be aware I wasn't here yesterday, so it wouldn't have been me. So Mm. you just calmly explain what the true reality is. And we, have, we actually have three little books on the BIF method. So people mm-hmm. can look those up if they want. One's for divorced co-parents, another's BIF at work, and another's mm-hmm. general, you know, neighbors, family, all that stuff. Mm. So anyway, that's responding to information just with useful information rather than a criticism. And lastly, the setting limits is say that there's a reason outside of yourself. So say, you know, the law doesn't allow us to do this thing, or I can't afford to do this thing, or it might look bad to somebody else if we do this thing. So you're Mm -hmm. not like hitting them hard. You're just saying there's another reason that you can't do that. So if someone's being like rude and rude and crude, is you say, hey, that's enough, Joe. You know, um, that's a kind of gentle letting them know that's enough. You don't have to say you're a mean and horrible person and everybody hates you and don't ever come here again. You can just Mm -hmm. say that's enough, Joe. Or let's say you're you're moving apart is saying, you know, we're not really that good of a fit. Or maybe leaving a company or firing somebody. Is saying, you know, we're not we're not a really good fit for you, um, so I think you'll be happier somewhere else. And I wish you all the best. And often mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so, connecting, analyzing options, responding to misinformation, and then setting limits by letting them know an external reason for why they should do something. Don't make it personal.
1: Oof, it's a lot of management. Sounds like a lot of work, (laughs) (laughs) you know?
0: (laughs) It takes practice.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the results are good. I I, I especially think that's helpful if people are in a situation where um, maybe it's a family member or, yeah, someone that they don't necessarily want to end their relationship with. So they have to manage their relationship with them. It's really helpful to have those tools um, there, I think. And if, if people don't want to manage that, then they can hopefully use the other tools to back away um, slowly. Mm-hmm. So I had a few questions from the Instagram community I want to dive into and see if we can get through a couple of those. Um, okay. One is, how can I co-parent teenagers with someone who has NPD?
0: Um, well, first of all, you want to try to negotiate an agreement, but be prepared to go to court. Um, and a, a lot of cases I've had as a mediator have been able to resolve out of court, but some mm-hmm. end up in court cause they want to look superior and they want to be in charge and dominate and stuff like that. Um, I think just being matter of fact, emotionally, you know, like I was saying, a borderline's emotional all over the place and the narcissist kind of enjoys controlling that person, is Mm -hmm. don't be someone that shows them a whole lot of your emotions. Just be matter of fact, uh, put you in a stronger negotiating position. Because if you present yourself as emotionally vulnerable, narcissists will be the first to take advantage of you. So Mm. you want to be matter of fact, you know, I I can do this and I can't do that. You know, I'm willing to go this far, not that far. Um, If there isn't, an abuse history or alienation in the history, often a lot of these cases end up around 50-50 parenting. And narcissists often will accept nothing less than 50-50 parenting. And so, because they think it makes them a lesser person. And some of them want to dominate, want, you know, 80 or 90% parenting. But I find a lot of these cases at 50-50 parenting can be relatively peaceful because they have their time and they may be decent with the kids, even though they're narcissistic. And then you have your time and during your time, you can really teach them good balanced ways to be. Um, And... Mm -hmm. And we, we have a method we call New Ways for Families, which is a 12-session mm-hmm. online class for divorce for divorce co-parents. And mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, judges will order both parents to take this because it helps them kind of calm down, develop some skills for getting along and managing their emotions and such. Mm-hmm. So in some cases, I say, you know, volunteer to do that and ask the other person to or get a court order that you both do that. Because that'll Mm. teach them four big skills. We call it the four big skills for life. Flexible thinking rather than all or nothing. Um, Managed emotions rather than having them take over. Moderate behavior. And then checking yourself. And so am I using these skills? And this helps calm down uh, a lot of potentially high conflict relationships. Um, and so. I, thought of, oh, sorry, yeah.
1: I just thought of one question um, around like getting divorced and things like that. Um, I know you said a lot in the Dating Radar book that false allegations, sometimes extremely um, severe false allegations, can be a part of divorce. Something that I've noticed is that when people are in these relationships, they often don't talk about it to anyone else, their family and friends, they don't share about it. And so um, it probably makes them more vulnerable to those false allegations. Is there a way that let's say someone like, how do you protect yourself? And why is it that people in these relationships often don't share about it?
0: Well, I think people are really embarrassed. Um, Mm. And what happens And I think it's almost an unconscious, um, emotional thing. But if somebody's bullying you, you inside, you actually feel like less of a person. Mm. And like we see this with domestic violence victims who don't leave. And you go, why don't they just leave? They have a chance Mm. to just leave. Why don't they leave? Because they've they've absorbed the criticism of themselves. Mm. And now they believe that they're a lesser person and mm. their self-esteem just goes down and down and down. And so they're embarrassed to let anybody know. Um, and they don't feel good about themselves. They feel worse about themselves. So that's that's a lot of what happens is they absorb the, mm. the negative messaging. Um, mm. Sometimes what I call it is the bully's story. The bully's story is there's a terrible crisis And it's all your fault. And, you know, you're an idiot and I'm here to save you. So just Mm. do as I say and you'll be okay. And what they say is that you're stupid. You can't get anything right. That you, you know, you shouldn't see your friends and family. I'm all you need. And so you get isolated emotionally and physically and that's that's kind of down a rabbit hole that's hard to get out of. People can, mm. but it's, it gets harder with, with time rather than easier.
1: Is there something that people could do if they're listening to this and they recognize I'm in a high-conflict relationship um, and I might need to, whether they're like I want to try and help and do the best I can, but how could they start taking steps now to protect themselves from those types of false allegations? Is there anything that they can do?
0: I think first of all is talk to people, talk to somebody, a friend, family member, counselor, even a lawyer is don't keep it to yourself because that makes you feel worse. So talk to somebody and and people are going to tell you, hey, you know, that's not your fault. No one deserves to be treated the way you're being treated. And Mm. so don't, don't allow yourself to be isolated. Um, Mm. And I think have everybody should have some activities independent of a partner, I believe. So you have, you know, it's Tuesday night and I'm going to my poker game and she's going to her book club. That's a good mm-hmm. thing, you know, because because mm-hmm. you're not totally relying on each other. That's when you're more susceptible to this. Mm. In mm. terms of having false allegations made against you, um, is... Just be aware you're not doing questionable things. Like if you're going through a divorce um, and you're moving apart, um, let's say you know you don't have a bed yet for your three-year-old child. If your mom or your dad, most people going like by three you should be starting to be in your own bed, and especially for dads, but also for moms, is if you don't have a bed for your child, then you're going to you're gonna be, people are going to raise questions about your relationship with your child if you're really manipulating or abusing your child. So have a bed. I remember I had a client once. He said, yeah, so this weekend's my first weekend with my three-year-old daughter, and I don't have a bed yet for her, so she'll just share my bed. And I said, yeah, and we'll be in court the next six months for child sexual abuse. So don't do that. You know, get mm. a bed for her. Um so don't put yourself yes yes and and Mm. that happens happens sometimes um if you have i guess you just have
1: to plan ahead with it's you're not dealing i'm thinking well that's so extreme but you're dealing with someone who is extreme so that's you have to think ahead
0: right and that's where i have another book that you may want to mention that's called splitting protecting Mm. yourself while divorcing someone with borderline or narcissistic personality disorder. And in Mm. that book, I predict a lot of the potential problems. And people have told me, they said, Bill, that book was so helpful because what happened was exactly what you talked about, but I knew what to do. Mm. And so that's the key. So educate yourself, be prepared. Listen to Angel's podcast, uh, <laughs> like that. And, you know, the biggest thing is don't get isolated. Get, get yeah. help from people.
1: Yeah, I really, really appreciate your time today. I think those are, those are the key takeaways that I received from both of your books that were incredible for those listening who want to learn more, The Five Types of People Who Ruin Your Life, Dating Radar. There are a few others that you mentioned and resources. Um, where else can people find you in your work if they'd like to connect more?
0: Well, our website just has a lot of information. It's HighConflictInstitute.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, we have uh, articles, videos, books. You can sign up for consultation. We do half-hour or one-hour consultations with people, especially trying to decide what they should do, how to mm-hmm. look at things. Mm-hmm. Um, And we also have a second website called Mm conflictplaybook.com. And that's where we have the 12 session online, uh, new ways for families co parenting class, and also four parent child uh, sessions. It's all online, Mm -hmm. self directed. It's, you know, video clips, text, writing things you can do. Um, So it's actually 16 um, hours, maybe less than an hour for some of the sessions for $87. So it's Amazing. very accessible and, uh, a lot of courts order it because they want both parents to learn to calm themselves. Um, but a lot of people do it just on their own. So mm. highconflictinstitute.com and conflictplaybook.com.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today and for everybody listening. I think the important thing to remember is that this is all great information that we can take. Maybe you have encountered high conflict personalities and now you can have a few more tools in your tool belt for how to manage that. Maybe you love someone who has a high conflict personality. Maybe you have a high conflict personality yourself. But I think the biggest takeaway here is that there are actually tools that we can use. There are ways that we can protect ourselves. There are ways that we can heal and that we can invite others to heal as well. So thank you so much for your time today. And um, I hope that everyone listening goes over and finds you at the High Conflict Institute and connects more with your work.
0: Thank you so much, Angel.
1: That's it for today, Awakened One. And just a quick Thank you from me. Thank you for gifting us with your most precious resource, your time and attention so that we can make this world a more awakened place. And if we're not friends on Instagram yet, then we absolutely should be. So come on over and say hello at Angelica Alana and I'll see you there and see you next week.